0: We believe. I would ask you this morning, what does it mean to believe? We use that word a lot, don't we? We say a lot of things that we believe in. Uh, Maybe for you, coming here today is uh, an expression of what you believe. That we gather in this building once a week and we talk about things that we believe. But I have a question for you this morning as we consider what it means to believe something. Where do you get your beliefs? For many of us, uh, we got our beliefs from our families and our parents. As we were children, we were told what to believe, weren't we? And that's a good thing. We did a parent-child dedication in the 9:30 service this morning, and and we even prayed specifically that that family, those parents, and our church would instill belief in that child that we would talk to that child about the stories of faith and that that child might come to believe. So many of us, we, we believe what we were told as children. And sometime in our journey, perhaps we reach the point where we have to make a decision if we believe that or if we have just accepted the beliefs of our parents or preachers that we've heard or Sunday school teachers, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? And how can I know that what I believe is true? You know, belief is not, uh, is not only about religious issues. Uh, belief, it, it is, it's, it's everything in our life. You can't do anything in life without some measure of belief. You get into an airplane and you believe that it will, re- uh, it will take you safely to your destination. You, you believe that. There are certain things about belief that we talk about in Starting Point. Many of you heard Nick talk earlier about Starting Point in a conversation about faith. There, there are several things about belief that we share in that, and I'd like to share just a few of those with you this morning as we consider how we belie- what we believe and why we believe it. The first thing about belief is this, that the ability to believe is the most powerful force in all of humanity. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Somebody believed that one day we could put a man on the moon. And everybody laughed at that person. And yet that belief, that belief led to study and research. And in fact, that belief came something that happened back a long time ago. Uh, Magellan, Christopher Columbus believed that the world was round. And, and they were laughed at, especially by people in the church. <laughs> and they were, called, they were told they were crazy. but But Christopher Columbus believed it to the point that he put action to what he believed and he got on a ship and in 1492 he sailed the ocean blue, right? That's how the poem goes. What led, to, what led him to take that action? It was what he believed. Orville and Wilbur Wright believed that man could fly and so today we do. And it all started with belief. Belief is the most powerful force that we have available to us as human beings. And it's not just a force for good, it's also a force for evil. We've seen that in the news even recently. There were people who had certain radical beliefs that led them to go into a, a newspaper publisher's office and shoot people. And it turned families upside down and it turned a city and a country and even the world upside down. What led to that action? It was a belief. It was something they believed. Belief is the most powerful thing that we have available to us as human beings. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that we constantly look for evidence that what we believe is true. Everybody does this on any number of subjects. You're constantly looking for something to justify what you already believe. This is why there are more than one or two cable news networks. I don't know if you've figured this out yet. But if you believe a certain thing politically, there are certain channels that you watch. Why? Because they validate what you believe politically. That's why. The other channels have it wrong, don't they? Their commentators, their interpreters, you know, they they don't know what they're talking about. I watch this channel because they tell me the truth. But the truth according to what? According to what you believe. We're always looking for things that validate what we already believe. And the third reality about belief is this, that belief is easy to maintain within a community of shared beliefs. So we as people tend to gravitate towards others who share our beliefs. Uh, And this is in every area of life. People go to certain colleges because that college has a certain worldview or the professors primarily teach from a certain worldview and we choose that college because it's a community of people who believe like I believe. Isn't that why we've gathered here today? Because we're a community of people who share certain beliefs and it's easier to maintain those beliefs if we live in a community of shared beliefs. Now here's what I want you to know about religious beliefs. That religious belief is simply belief applied to things of a religious nature. There's no difference when it comes to belief between political beliefs and religious beliefs. Beliefs are beliefs. All those three principles I just mentioned apply to religious beliefs as well as to every other kind of belief that we can have. But here's why this is so important for us today. Because if you're here and you're not a Christian, Maybe you've gathered with us today and you're even exploring the idea of Christianity. You, you, I don't know what brought you. I'm glad you came. Maybe it was obligation. Maybe it was an invitation. Maybe you're just seeking some answers in the new year. I don't know. But, but, but here's what you need to know about the Christian worldview that sets us apart from the other belief systems. That the basis for Christianity is not a religious belief system. That's not the foundation of Christianity. The foundation for Christianity is historical events. The basis for Christianity is not a religious belief system, but historical events. Let me give you an example of of what I'm talking about. So Jesus, who is the centerpiece of the Christian faith, he's our guy, all right? So if you've ever wondered, why do Christians talk about Jesus so much? He's our guy. That's what we talk, he's, he's the guy. Everything hinges on him. Jesus gathered around him people who were his followers. They were his disciples And there were more than just the 12 apostles. There were probably about 120 or so people who followed Jesus. And they believed the things that Jesus taught. They believed that Jesus, in fact, had come as the Messiah. They had been hoping for somebody to come as the Messiah. Not the Messiah, maybe the way we think about the Messiah, but their idea of the Messiah in this day and age was very different. Nobody expected the Messiah to come and be the Son of God. Nobody expected the Messiah to be divine. Nobody expected the the Messiah to die and rise again. Nobody expected that the Messiah would would be immortal. They just thought the Messiah would come like King David had come. That he would just be a really great king. He'd come in, he'd wipe out the Romans, and he'd take over the throne of David, and Israel would be reestablished as a world power. That's what we're looking for in a Messiah. And here comes Jesus, and these people believe that's him. That's what they believe. Everything he says, everything he does, just confirms what they already choose to believe. It doesn't matter if it's actually true, because they see what they want to see, they hear what they want to hear, and they interpret that how they want to interpret that, because that's the nature of what we believe. We choose to interpret things through the lens of what we already believe. But something happened. See, Jesus was arrested and he was tried and he was executed. And the disciples and his followers believed that he was dead. One of the followers saw it happen. Many of the women watched him die, they prepared his body for the grave. They believed that Jesus was dead. And they believed that he would stay dead, like you do when you die. So they had this thought about him, and the minute he died, and they believed that he was dead, everything else that they had believed about him was thrown out. None of that must have been true. We were deceived, we were misled, this is tragic, it wasn't what we thought it was, but Jesus is dead, and kings, you can't become king if you're dead, And so Jesus must not be our guy. And then three days later, rumors started spreading around Jerusalem that Jesus' tomb is empty. Well, surely they stole his body. Surely somebody stole it. That's what must have happened. But but in fact, there were some women among their group who had gone to the tomb. and, And they come back and they report, no, he is alive. And slowly, Jesus begins to reveal himself to his followers And more and more people around the city of Jerusalem are seeing that Jesus is alive. And at one point, we're even told that more than 500 people on one occasion saw with their own eyes. This wasn't something that their mama had told them. This wasn't something that their grandmama had told them or that they heard from their preacher or they'd heard from their Sunday school teacher or they'd seen on a flannel chart. This was something that they witnessed. He is alive. And suddenly... They reinterpreted everything they'd ever heard him say. Everything they'd seen him do suddenly took on a different meaning. Not based on religious theory. Not based on theology. But based on historic events. From things they had seen and encounters they had had. So they began to tell other people. And the word spread about Jesus And within just a few months, there were not hundreds, but there were thousands of people who believed that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. And they would gather together in homes and they would worship in the temple courts and word was spreading. Now listen, this is while eyewitnesses were still alive. If you'd heard a story and it happened in a specific city, and there were people who had supposedly seen this happen with their own eyes, and you weren't sure, you could go to them, and you could say, tell me what you saw. And they would say, man, I saw him. He was dead, and now he's alive. And they would say, well, man, I trust you. You've never, you've never steered me wrong. I believe Not based on your theology, I believe, not based on your religious convictions, I believe based on what you saw happen, a real event. And word continued to spread, and the church grew exponentially during a time where it was easy for anyone to see with their own eyes and explore and research did this happen or not? And many people came to the conclusion that it, in fact, did happen. It's the only explanation for the growth of the church, that it was not a fraud perpetrated on humanity, but there was, some, there was some, something historic going on here, and people could see it. And so they began to write letters to different communities of believers, and these letters were collected for us in the New Testament. So you can read what, uh, what Paul would have written to the church at Ephesus as he's trying to encourage them how to live the Christian life and what Peter would have written in two different letters and, and what John would have written in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Titus. and All these books that you have in the New Testament were written as letters were being transferred back and forth from those who had witnessed and seen Jesus and had interpreted his teachings. And at some point along the line, they said, you know what we need to do? We're all getting older And and there's going to be a time where none of the living witnesses are still alive. We should write down the story of Jesus. We should tell the story. And so they wrote the Gospels. And the Gospels were written after most of the letters in your New Testament. Your New Testament is not in order according to when it was written. The Gospels were written much later than the letters. So Matthew wrote an account of the life of Jesus, what he did and what he taught. And Mark wrote an account, and Luke wrote an account. And these accounts were circulating around. They were going all the way around, and people had read the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and they had researched and studied these things, and there were people living that they could interview to find out from Mary what happened when Jesus was born and what happened when you took him to the temple to dedicate him and they recorded it faithfully for us and it's been handed down but at the very end years and years after all these letters are circulating after the gospels are already written the last man standing all the apostles are dead most of them have been martyred not because of what they believed but because of what they saw See, they 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 weren't dying because they believed something. They were dying, they were they were dying because they witnessed something and they would not change their story because they saw it happen. And John, the apostle John, now an old man, eighty-five, almost ninety years old, says, You know what? I'm the last one. And other people have written these stories, and I'm going to write it too. And there might have been those who might have said, you know, there are already accounts written of the and circulating among the churches. Do we really need another account? Do we need another sequel? Do we need another gospel? And John writes his gospel for a very specific reason. And we find a clue to why he wrote it in John chapter 20, verse 30. And this is really important as we talk about what we believe. As you consider what it is that you believe and why you believe it. Listen to what John said. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Now, that's kind of an interesting way to start as, as we consider why John would have written this gospel, but let me tell you what John is saying. John is saying, listen, I know Matthew's already told you some stories about Jesus. They're good stories. They're true. And Mark's told you some, and Luke's told you some. I don't need to retell those. Okay, those stories are out there and they're true. I'm writing to you and I'm telling you things, I'm telling you things that that, that maybe they didn't tell in a way that they didn't tell it. And another passage, John chapter 21, one chapter over, verse 24 and 25, this is what John says about the gospel that he's writing and about himself. He says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. He's talking about himself in the third person. He's saying, I am the one who's writing this, but I am witnessed it. He's not, I don't, he didn't say, I believe it. He didn't say, I hope it's true. He's saying, I saw these things. The things I am writing to you, I have witnessed. And then he says this, and we know that his testimony, John's writing about himself, is true, not based on theory, but based on historic facts. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, John's acknowledging this is, we're just scratching the surface here. If the ocean were the inkwell, it would run dry before we exhausted all that could be said about what Jesus did and what he taught. There were many other things that happened John, in his gospel, chooses to record seven specific miracles. Not because they were the only miracles Jesus performed, but because I want to tell you these signs so that you might believe something. I want you to know that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah. He wasn't just one who came to be the conquering king. He was the Son of God. I want you to know the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father That Jesus reveals to you that you can have a relationship with the Father. And I want you to know this. The promise that Jesus gives to those who believe. John runs his readers to know that the stories are true. And that by believing in them, those who believe in them will have life. Not just in eternity, but abundant life now. Look what he says. Let's go back to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here it comes, here's the reason. These are written, not other stories. I have chosen these stories. I have chosen these teachings for a reason. Here's why. These are written so that you may, what's the word? Believe Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And here comes even the better part. And by believing, you may have Life in his name. I want you to know. I want you to know what I saw. I want you to know these things are facts, and by knowing them and believing them, it will change your life. Not because of a set of religious beliefs, but because of a story that is true. Anytime you begin to study a book of the Bible, word counts are important. How many times? A particular author uses a word. So, so in John, for example, he uses the word truth 45 times. The truth is really important to John. He wants you to know that this is the truth. He uses the word witness over 70 times. He wants you to know it's the truth. He wants you to know it's the truth because he saw it. He experienced it. He walked with Jesus. He had breakfast with Jesus after the resurrection. He touched him. He leaned on him the night of the Lord's Supper. He saw it. The word love is used over 80 times. John talks to us about the love of God in ways that other writers don't mention. But here's here's what's so important. John uses the word believe over 100 times, more than any other writer in the entire Bible. Believe, believe, believe. Because it matters what you believe. Because what you believe has the power to change your life, to change your circumstances, to change your family, and ultimately even to change our world believe. Interestingly enough, John never uses the word faith. Not one time. He's the only New Testament writer not to use it. And it's interesting when you think about that and consider the difference between the word faith Belief and faith, they're pretty much synonymous, but there is a difference. That belief, believe is a verb, faith is a noun. John is saying this is a choice that you make. You you come to a point, you evaluate the evidence, and you determine, is this something I believe based on the witness, based on the story, based on the historic evidence? Do I believe it? And so John's writing this gospel for this purpose. And and here's here's something that that, that we should know as we just explore the idea of what does it mean to believe that what Jesus said was true. That what Jesus did actually happened. That he died and rose again. What does it mean to believe that these historic facts have been recorded and preserved in the New Testament? Think about that for just a minute. That there were people writing these things down. No book has been more scrutinized in all the history of writing than the New Testament has. And time and again, it has stood up to the test of that scrutiny. The historic evidence, the archaeological evidence, these were things that that happened in time with specific places. They can be checked, that it's been written and it's been preserved for us in the New Testament so that we can read them and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's why you hold in your hand or on your electronic device or in the, in, the, in the rack in front of you, there's a book with stories told. Not just simply so that you can hope it's true, but because they bear witness to what actually happened. You see, Christianity was not launched by people who had blind faith in Jesus, but by people who had facts and people who were eyewitnesses of history. They experienced doubts. They experienced disappointment when Jesus died on the cross. They saw him die, and they abandoned everything they had believed before, and something happened that changed their mind. And the Gospels don't sugarcoat that. The Gospels tell us that they, in fact, didn't believe anymore. Actually, we're told in the book of Luke that two of the disciples are walking and Jesus appears and they say, we had hoped he was the one. We don't anymore because he's dead. But something changed their mind because they weren't just eyewitnesses of his death. They were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And this is the story. This is their story that we don't get to see it and we didn't get to experience it, but based on their eyewitness accounts, they've been preserved and given to us so that we might believe and experience life. And we who are removed from these events by time and space are confronted with the choice to believe these eyewitness accounts or not. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but the Christian faith can be made that simple. Do you believe? Do you believe? Because that's what was written here. You cannot take the claims of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and say, you know, all of that other stuff, I don't really know if people can die and rise from the dead. I don't really know about miracles I, we don't live in a world that, that, that thinks in terms of the miraculous and the unexplainable. We live in a world of facts and science and evidence. And I don't know what to do with that. But I will say, Jesus' teachings are good. He was a good teacher and a good philosopher. But Jesus doesn't leave you that option. Because of the things that Jesus said about himself. And the claims that he made about himself. Doesn't leave that as an option for you. Jesus was either telling the truth and therefore is Lord and God. Or he was a lunatic or a liar, one or the other. You see, the Christian faith isn't built on theology, and it's not built on a belief system. It's built on historic events. Jesus either lived and died and rose again, or he didn't. And you have to determine whether you believe that or not. And you and I don't have the privilege of living in a time where we can see it. We don't live in a period of time where we can go and interview for ourselves the eyewitnesses. But they wrote down what they saw. And it was preserved and it was passed on. And John says, I have written these things so that you might Believe. But if you reject these accounts of history, don't be deceived into thinking that your life requires no faith. There is no such thing as a person of no faith. Every human being is a person of faith. Everybody believes something. The question is, how are you going to decide what you believe? Do you believe it? because somebody told you and you've just blindly accepted it and you call that faith or have you in fact read the accounts and made a decision for yourself to say i believe and don't say well i just believe science and i just believe what can be demonstrated and proven through the scientific method if you're married and have children you know that's not true because there is no scientific method that figures out the condition in this, in the, of the heart. You can't, put that, you can't put that on a flow chart. There's a lot of things that you have faith in and that you believe that can't be proven by science. I was watching a, a video um, recently of a lecture that Billy Graham gave. He was invited to a convention where all the leading scientists and researchers, uh, all the leading computer and analysis inventors were gathered together and they had invited Billy Graham to come and just give a lecture about what the Bible would say about technology, what it would say about science and progress. And uh, Billy Graham, very, very weak at this point, was helped onto the stage and He stood up and he said, I want to tell you three things that no matter how much we learn, no matter what science accomplishes, three things that science, problems that science has never been able to solve. And he says, The first one is the problem of evil, which we recognize is true, don't we? It doesn't matter how smart we become, it doesn't matter how connected we become through the internet and through technology, you can't stop evil. It just keeps coming. He said the second problem, the second thing you can't ever stop is, he said, is suffering, human suffering. All the advances in technology, and we still have people who die of malnutrition, who don't have access to clean drinking water. You can't stop the suffering. And then the third thing, he said, science and technology have not been able to solve the problem of death. Then I started thinking. I started thinking about some people I know, some friends I have who are atheists. Now, you know the difference between an atheist and an agnostic. An agnostic just doesn't know. Maybe he doesn't doesn't care. An atheist says, no, I have evaluated and I've determined I do not believe in the existence of a higher power. I do not believe in the existence of an afterlife. I am an atheist. And I started thinking about what Billy Graham said about science and technology not solving the problem of death. And I realized that perhaps the atheists require more faith than the Christian faith does itself. To stand on the abyss of death and cling to, the, cling to the thought that there is nothing after death, that there is no higher power, takes more belief, takes more faith than it does to believe the stories that have been witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people in real time that have been, perser- that have been preserved and passed down from generation that have changed the course of human history more than any other teaching in all the world. It takes more faith not to believe than it does to accept the eyewitness account and say, I believe. So here's my question to you. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about him? Do you believe the story that has been told and passed down? And if you do believe it, why do you believe it? Has it become your belief? Or is it still somebody else's belief that may or may not exist in the realm of fantasy? May or may not exist in the realm of just good good literature, symbolic literature, meaningful literature. But do you believe that it happened? And if you're here today and you're not a believer, you don't know what to believe, I'm so glad you're here. Because why wouldn't you explore the claims of the life and the teachings of the death and the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because if it's true, then everything changes. And if it's not true, what have you lost? I'm not asking you to take my word for it. I'm not asking you to take some other theologian, even Billy Graham. I'm not asking you to take Billy Graham's word for it. I'm asking you, have you read the story of Jesus Christ? Have you read the eyewitness accounts? And have you wrestled, have you wrestled with the truth of those stories for yourself? Do you believe Because John says, the only reason I'm writing this is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and by believing, you might have life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for faithful accounts of the life of your son Jesus. Thank you that the gospel writers told the story with all of its tensions, with all of its seeming contradictions, even at times where it made the apostles and the disciples look bad. They told the story as they saw it happen because they believed that what they witnessed could change our lives 2,000 years later. Lord, thank you for those who gathered and who just were faithful witnesses in those early days as they saw Jesus resurrected, as they heard him teach, as they encountered him. And one person told another person, told another person, told another person. And even long after all the eyewitnesses were dead, people kept telling more people and more people. And at some point, somebody told us the story. But Father, I I pray That we would do more than simply accept it based on hearsay. But that we would explore the eyewitness accounts that we might believe. And by believing, we might be changed. Our families might be changed. Our community might be changed. Our world might be changed. Not Not because of a religious philosophy, not be not because of a set of religious principles or beliefs but because of historic events father for those who are here today who have blindly accepted these stories i pray they would they would dig into the accounts that are written for us and preserved and that they would make their faith their own for those who are here today who aren't sure what they believe Father, I pray that they would believe even in this moment, but more importantly, that your Spirit would take what has been said here today and would stir them to seek answers for themselves as they just open their Bible, turn on their electronic device, and read these accounts. And Lord, that they would believe, and by believing they'd have life. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this time to move and to Minister to the hearts of your people who are here. May our experience here deepen our faith and cause us to believe. For we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Amen.